Now, in recent years, there has been a rise of a new breed of internet celebrities uh, that are called influencers. Uh, what are influencers? Well, they're a large army of uh, social media users, I, I must say mostly women, uh, who gather to themselves millions of devoted followers. The influencers uh, are financial deals with businesses, governments, and social movements, and even political movements, to influence their followers in a certain direction. They use their influence for, their paid, paid for influence. Uh, they get their followers to buy the clothes they wear, the cars they drive, the food they eat, and support their social and political causes. There is a huge range of influences, uh, from fashion, lifestyle, and mummy influences on Instagram, uh, to gamers and beauty vloggers on YouTube. Uh, some of the most influential influences of our time, we think of the Kardashians, have 220 million plus followers. But there are also those that are perhaps less popular, like the Love Island stars that only can gather maybe a few hundred thousand or something. Why do influencers exist? Well, influencers exist because everyone wants influence on our society. And powerful people are willing to pay influencers to pursue their agenda. That's why the market is very huge. In fact, the latest estimates put it globally at around 20 billion US dollars. Big business. People want to buy influence, influence and they get the influences. Our government uses influencers. Last year it paid hundreds of thousands to influencers, including Love Island stars, to promote the NHS test and trace services. And I'm sure they're using it at the moment, that service to get people to um, sign up to the vaccine and other services that the NHS are offering. The truth is that all of us, not just the government or big business, want influence on the society we live in. We all have a view about what the, world, what the nation should be like, and we want our nation to have that vision, to, to be the way we want it to be. We want our vision to be accepted by everyone. And yet, as we think about the existence of social media influences, it shows us that influencing our society is very hard. It's very hard. We, it's difficult for an ordinary person to influence society. Many of us feel powerless to change where society is going. We vote, yes, but that doesn't seem to work. Politicians don't always do what they want. If you were in 10 Downing Street and you wanted to pursue something, I'm sure you wouldn't look what the government is pursuing now. You would have your own set of ideas. But you're not able to do it because why? Because it's hard to influence the nation. You're just one of 70 million, I guess, in the UK. So there's a sense of powerlessness when we think about the country. And I, suspect, and I suspect this sense of powerlessness is especially felt by those of us who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. As believers in this country, we find ourselves living under what I call a permanent immoral majority. We know that this nation once loved the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, when you read the stuff from the 17th and 15th century, you will probably weep because you realize there were sermons preached in Parliament. Prayer times, days of national prayer. 
But we have lost, of course, all of that over the last few decades. We, the country, when you think about it, not only hates God, it is a part of national policy to hate God. Pornography, abortion, same-sex marriage, gender fluidity, three parent babies, and the list goes on. All of this, gambling, all of these things are sanctioned by national legislation. And the expectation now in the country is not only that these things are legal, but all of us are required now to celebrate them. You are vilified if you don't celebrate these sorts of things. We think of the education of our little ones in schools, which has been overtaken by queer theory, critical race theory, Marxism, and other godless ideologies. And we look at that, and, and those of us who are parents, we feel powerless. Try writing a letter to your head teacher. You, you won't get very far. I mean, I've tried that. And of course, when followers of Jesus speak about these things, especially if they're in places of work, they often fear for their jobs. And in many cases, they lose their jobs. Or they just don't get given jobs if they answer that wrong question at the interview that reveals their Christian uh, view of the world. We are more or less cancelled in many spheres of our life. Those who are true evangelical believers. In fact, it is rare to see an evangelical Christian on TV. I've been recently watching GB News, something different, and I, I was excited. I was thinking I'll see a few believers get on there, but now nah, I think I just saw one believer on there, uh, Reverend Randall, and he was only there because he was cancelled from his school. He lost his job for preaching a sermon at a Christian school um, concerning the issues I'm highlighting. That's the only time I saw him on what it's supposed to be, um, um, sort of uh, uh, a fresh breath there, as they say. Now, it isn't, right? It's quite obvious when you look at the nation as a whole, the country now doesn't look to Christians. The country now looks to humanist, scientists, social influences to define itself. There is a lot of talk, for example, on the impact of COVID-19 and the impact it's having on mental health. They are not asking pastors for a view or what the Bible says. They're not bringing people like that to talk about this. The big thing now, I was watching last night, the big thing on that was they got in sort of an Eastern meditation guru to talk about you know, mindfulness and how that can help you cope with COVID. That's the world we are living in. It's a world in which Christians are more or less cancelled from public life. Our influence is very minimal. True believers in this country, of course, are a tiny minority, aren't we? We're a tiny minority. And that raises the question, doesn't it? What should we as believers do in face of this situation? We have little influence. That's obvious. So what should we do? Should we ignore it just while it's a fact of life, so we just you know, leave it at that? Or should we as Christians pay up our own influences? <laughs> I don't know, our own Kim Kardashian or something. Is that, is that the direction of somebody who's popular? And, you know, there is a, there is a, there is a sense among, among Christians that we need our own Christian celebrities. And that's why when you hear maybe a, a, a person professes faith who's famous, we latch on to them. You know, Daniel Walker, wow, that's a great thing. Uh, and we lift this thing up. So some people will believe that's the way forward for us to have influence in our society. Is that the way forward? Well, I think... The answer to, to, that, to how we should respond 
to our situation is found in the passage we are looking at today. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. This, the letter of, of Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to Pastor Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor at Ephesus. So last week we looked at the pastor of the church at Ephesus, where Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. And actually, as you read the New Testament, you immediately realize that a lot of the letters to the New Te- in the New Testament are written to the church at Ephesus. So first and second, Timothy is written to the church at Ephesus, because that's where Timothy was the pastor. Now, Ephesus, as we said last week, was a city full of idolatry. Uh, Christians there were a small, tiny, tiny minority there. And it was not just full of idolatry and they lacked sort of social influence. It was also a city within the Roman Empire. A Roman Empire at this time that Paul is writing is under the rule and thumb of the evil Emperor Nero. And you know, his records, he persecuted Christians, he set them up to the lions and uh, he lighted them up literally as torches. So they are living during a time of great persecution. They are living during a time of great match idolatry in that period. And so as Paul writes this letter to this tiny church led by a very young pastor, we naturally expect him to tell the pastor, right, Pastor Tim, to keep the church under the radar. Life is difficult, so just mind your own business as it were. Don't be try to try to be too influential in your society. Don't speak too much, as it were. Just think small, be small, right? That's what we expect Paul to say. The church needs to survive, so just stay on the radar, as it were. Stay under the radar. Well, when we read this letter, we find that Paul has exactly the opposite message. Paul's message is that he wants Pastor Timothy to recognize that the church of God is the only real and powerful influence in our society. What is our influence? Well, the church wields the influence on the nation where it is based through the prayers, through our prayers to God. Let's read verse 1 to 4 again. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, <clears throat> godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There are three important truths we learn in, this, in these four verses uh, about the influence of prayer on the nation. The first truth is just that. The first truth is prayer influences our nation. That's the first truth. Prayer influences our nation. There are many things, as I said, we can do to have some Christian influence in our society. We can write to our MP. We can have our own influences. We can vote. We can support the Christian Institute. We can support Christian concern and others that are pushing for a biblical agenda. Indeed, we can support the local church in, 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 in any way we can. All of those things are good things, and we must continue to do them. We must be actively involved in our society. But our most influential thing we can do 
the most influential thing we can do for our nation is to pray to God. Prayer is the most influential asset that we have as believers. And the specific prayer for our nation, the people who live in it and those who rule the country. That's what verse 1 to 2 is telling us. First of all, as a matter of first importance when you gather, Paul is saying, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position. We stop there. Because Paul is saying to Timothy and to all believers, Pray for the nation you are living in. We know that's what he has in mind because he mentions two elements of the nation. He mentions the people and he mentions those who rule the people. For, all, for kings and all who are in high position. Paul is saying, pray for the people in your land and pray for the government that rules over you. And notice the wonderful range of the, of the diversity of prayers we are meant to bring to God. Did you notice that? Four different kinds of prayers that the Apostle Paul gives. He wants us to pray with profound diversity. He says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. Um, what, what do these words mean? Well, these four prayers, they are really like colors of a rainbow, Right? We can see there are different colors, right, when you look at the rainbow. But it is not easy to see where one color ends and the other begins, right, if you're looking in the sky. And, and that's a bit like prayer here, these four elements. Paul doesn't really immediately wants us to get bogged down on the differences. That's not what he's interested in. His point is that praying for a nation is so important that... He learns phrase after phrase about prayer because he wants us to sense the weight of what he's asking. He says, pray, and pray with all kinds of prayers. It is that important to pray for the country. He says we must make supplications. What does he mean by that? Well, the word probably means requests. We must make requests to God for our fellow citizens, people we live with, next-door neighbors. We must bring to God their material needs. At this moment in the nation, there are a lot of material needs that people have. You know, some are bereaved as a result of COVID. Some are going through difficult mental uh, health problems at the moment. Some, some, some have lost, as I say, loved ones. Some are in hospital. There are many needs in the nation. There are those who are worried about jobs. People we live next door to. Paul says, bring all their material needs. Bring supplications. That's requests for things they need before God. Prayer with love for them, he said. And of course, we must make direct prayers. He says, uh, prayers, it sounds like he's repeating himself. No, what he means by that really is that these are prayers really that brings the person before the throne of God. We are to pray specifically that God would save people from their sins. We must bring their souls to God in prayer and ask God to deliver them from the chains of darkness. He says we must also make intercessions. What does he mean by that? Well, the image conveyed by this word is really uh, that of gaining an entrance to submit a request to the king. And so what Paul is saying is that we have access to the king of kings, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. So let us take to the king of kings and the Lord of lords 
junior, lesser kings, lesser lords. Let us take the government before God. Let us present it. Let us commit it before God in prayer. Let us commit all those who rule and bring them in intercessory prayer before our God. Our prayers to God, surprisingly, must also include thanksgiving. I hope you are surprised when you read that. And thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. In other words, we are to thank God when we pray for the people of these islands, our local and national governments. The Bible is not saying we should be, because you may be worried, am I really supposed to thank God for the local government? They can't even get a decent uh, bin collection going. This week. You, you, may be, you may be complaining about that. Well, the Bible is not saying we should be thankful for, in, for incompetency, right? And the many godless things our local and national governments do. No, no. God is saying, God wants our prayers to be filled with thanksgiving for the many good things he's already doing through those fallen individuals and structures. Yes, local government is a fallen institution. Yes, the people in this nation, many of them do evil things. All of them do evil things, right? But yet, through these fallen creatures, God still does, accomplishes his purposes. There is a lot of good things we can thank God for, for this nation. Look, you don't have to look very far to be thankful for, what, for some of the things in the country. I would say that as, a, as, a, as, a, as somebody who's moved here. I mean, there's a good reason why I live in this country. There's a good reason why a lot of foreigners come from different parts of the world to live here. Right? We didn't go to China or Indonesia or Syria. Why? Because in this country, though it has turned its back on God, the blessings of God still abound in this nation. The Bible is still being preached in our churches, as our brother Andrew prayed. We do not have to register with local party officials to have access for water like they do in China. Praise God for that. The economy is still stable, even as countries around the world are starting to implode. Have you noticed that nations around the world are imploding? I was watching a video of South Africa and I was shocked. I was with my wife, I see it on YouTube. The queue. Driving to get food, I think it was like four minutes. It just never stops. And the woman in Durban filming this thing, she just breaks in tears. That's what's happening around the world. But praise God, for now, things are okay here. We can thank God for that. And yes, we may have our differences on how the government has handled the pandemic. But we thank God that God continues to preserve people but, you know, in this nation. We thank God that in our fellowship, the Lord has preserved, especially the frail. You can still access the NHS. My wife, you know, was unwell. Sorry to bring you up there, but my wife was unwell. You know, she's still unwell. And um, with a high problem, uh, we went there on a Sunday. Yes, we didn't get seen on Sunday for people to look at the eye at Queen Mary. But they looked at her on Monday. Praise the Lord for that. I can guarantee you if I was back in my uh, ancestral uh, village back in Zambia, she wouldn't get that service. We have much to thank God for. Well, I do anyway, coming from abroad. And of course, we can still walk safely, can't we? And uh, minding our own business as we want. The key point is that we have a lot to thank 
God for. But the bigger point that Paul is making is that we must use this range of prayers, uh, supplication, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving, that must be made for the nation, for the people who live in it, and for the government. And when we pray like that, Paul is saying, God will hear our prayers. How do we know? Well, Paul says one of the results when we are praying for the nation is that God blesses it with peace. That's just one example I think is given. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all the people, for kings and all who are in high positions. What's the result? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. The original word for peaceful here means a life free from outward disturbance. The original word for quiet usually refers to our internal being, our inward being. So what Paul is really saying is that praying for a nation transforms the nation to such an extent that all citizens begin to live at peace with one another and there's a sense in which God can begin the work of transforming the hearts of the people so that they could enjoy the shalom that God provides through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayers can have that impact on the people. And we benefit, as we'll see in a moment, when the nation is like that. The point is that we are, you and I, we are not bystanders to the things that are taking place in our nation. We have great influence because of the weapon of prayer. If you're trusting in Jesus, when you get on your knees before God, you can affect the life of your neighbors. So don't just think that, oh, I can't reach my neighbor. Actually, you have like a direct line to God who can reach the neighbor. You can change your place of work. Your prayers can influence the borough you live in, this borough, or if you're in another borough. You can affect the school your children go to through your prayers. If you are there at school, you can affect your classroom through your prayers. You can have an impact on your local MP. Your prayers can transform the way national government functions. It can impact the lives of leading politicians in the country. Your prayers can bring salvation, as we say in a moment, to Boris Johnson and Carrie. If you pray earnestly for them, God may be pleased to answer your prayers. Because he's promised He's delighted to answer that, as we will see in in, in verse 4. The Bible is saying our prayers in Christ moves the hand of God that moves the nation. That's what prayer is. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. So as followers of Jesus, we are not helpless and insignificant people. Now I know this is difficult for us to believe because we look, we've been praying for a while, Or we look around and we feel very discouraged. We are feeling very discouraged. We we struggle to how we can relate verse 1 to 2 to what's going on in our lives. We struggle to see how our prayers can make a difference. First of all, I think we don't pray enough. Because first of all, this is a command for the church to be more earnest in prayer. That's just my general observation. If we are honest with ourselves, we don't pray as earnestly as the Bible is reminding us here. But beyond that, we must remember that we walk by faith, not by sight. 
We must trust what God is saying to us. We must keep praying even if it looks like we don't see the results. The truth of the matter is we don't see all the results. And I would say we already see the results. I think we are enjoying peace now because of the prayers of the saints in the times past. This country is what it is now because faithful saints in the past prayed for this nation. We are still living of the borrowed prayers of the Puritans. Now we must now step up and do our bit for this nation at this time and for future generations. Your prayers will impact on the future generation. Don't be too bogged down to see, to think, to, to pinpoint specific results. But if you know the history of this nation, you will know very well that we are here standing preaching the gospel because of what other saints have done in the past as they have knelt before God. The question is, do you believe what the word of God is saying or not? Well, if you do, then ask God to help you. And this fellowship to pray for our nation, earnestly. I start by asking God to give you a real desire to pray for people around you. That's the first thing. You can't have a burden for the nation when you lack a burden for your next door neighbors. Let's be honest. How can we talk about having a burden for Scotland? if we can't even have a burden for Bexley Inn. So we must ask, be honest with God and say, Lord, place a burden for me. I can't have a burden for this borough if I have no burden for my next door neighbor. It's impossible. So we must ask the Lord to help us to have a burden, first of all, with people close to us. Start with that. And also tell God that you struggle to make requests for your neighbors and the rest of the nation because you hardly know the people around you. So we want to burden for our neighbors. Well, we struggle with the burden of our neighbors. Well, we don't know our neighbors. So perhaps what we should be praying for is that the Lord would help us to know our neighbors. And that the Lord will help us to get involved in our local community. I mean, when we think about volunteering, it's shameful, isn't it, that there are few Christians that volunteer in our communities, get involved in the life of the community, so that we can pray meaningfully for the needs that are in our community. You need to ask God to help you know how to lovingly pray for our politicians. I think this is a hard thing for me, I think, for me personally. It is hard to pray for politicians who hate the Jesus I love. It's just hard. So my prayers for them tend to be on the surface. But we need God, so we need God to help us to pray for them. Because you see, those who rule over us need our prayers more than any person in our nation. Did you get that? Those who rule over this nation need our prayers more than any other person in this nation. They need our prayers, first of all, for three things I would say. First of all, because they have greater responsibilities than anyone else in the country. On top of their normal human responsibilities. So they just need prayer for that. It's hard. I know they are driven to want these things, but the truth is it's hard. Secondly, they need our prayers because they have greater temptations and danger. It is true for anyone who desires responsibility, of course, in the church or anywhere else. Those of us who have some leadership responsibility, even at the local church level, face greater temptations than other people and greater dangers. What more than the prime minister, the queen, and those in very high positions? It must be frightening what the devil dangles before them every day. So they need prayers for that reason. 
The other reason, and this is the third reason I think those who are in high position need more of our prayers than, than anyone else, is because the consequence of their sin is beyond them. It is larger than anything some of us may do. Whether you like it or not, Boris Johnson is fashioning this country in his own sinful image. Whether you like it or not, it's a fact. You want to know where, where the country is headed? It's headed where Boris Johnson is headed. It's headed where Michael Gove is headed. In his personal life, in his spiritual life. It's just a fact. That we say the same thing for whoever was ruling the country. And that's why we must pray for leaders. And I cannot just make a very unrelated point, but in the local church as well. Uh, the leaders we have in the church, you want to know where the church is headed? We must look at the lives of the leaders in the church. Our own lives, the lives of elders, the lives of deacons, the, the lives of those we have responsibility for, for Sunday school, uh, for, 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 for the ladies' ministry, men's ministry. This is a very serious issue. So those who have responsibility have very clear need for our prayers because their sin impacts on all of us. So we need to pray for, to God to help us to pray for our leaders better. And can I say for some of us, we need to ask God to help us to truly love this country. There's a lot of beating up the country at the moment. You know, the whole BLM movement and etc., etc., there's, of course, a lot of things that are wrong in this nation, but there's a lot of beating up this country and its past. Shameful beating up the country. And I would say for many of us, we need to pray that God will give us a love for our country. Because if we are beating up the country, how can we truly pray for the country? The Christians should be the most patriotic and loyal to the country they live in. What's my authority? Well, my authority is First Timothy 2. Verse 1 to 2. First of all, the first thing you do when you meet as a church, this is what it means. I urge, strongly urge, strongly command that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for the nation. To prayer is always an act of love. You could even say, Paul is calling them to love the nation. And I would say this is a special challenge for those of us, like myself, who have immigrated here. The Bible is saying we must have a heart for the nation we live in. This is our nation. This is our government. And we must love it to bits with all the challenge that comes with living in a rapidly godless society. So we must ask God to help us to love the nation. And finally, let us ask God to help us to pray for all different classes of people who live in this nation. Especially those who want nothing to do with God. We are commanded to pray for all the people. I love that. It says, pray for all the people. No ifs, no buts. No group of people are to be left out. Regardless of race, economic status, political or sexual ideology. We must never be selective in our prayers by targeting only a group of people. We must pray for God's grace on all people. We, some of us need to learn to pray for God's grace on the LGBT and the atheists in this country. 
that God would shower them with his grace and will bring them to true repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's the first point, isn't it? Paul reminds us that our prayer influences our nation. Okay, I've taken 25 minutes on that. Maybe half an hour, right? But I'll be quick with the next two points. Where the next two points is that prayer influences not only our nation, it influences our lives. It influences our lives. That's the second point. One of the phrases we keep hearing from the government is that no one is safe until everyone is safe from COVID. That's what the government says. I know that's part of the zero COVID strategy, obviously. But the point they're making is that our individual health, that's how I take it, not so much as a zero COVID thing, but I take it to mean that our individual health is affected by the people around us. So all of us have a responsibility to be healthy. And I think there's some truth in that, and I think there is some spiritual truth as well linked to that. Our spiritual health as followers of Jesus, to some degree, depends on the spiritual health of the nation we live in. It's quite obvious. If the nation is godless, it increases the temptations we face in our lives. And of course, the more the nation becomes godless, the more it will persecute believers. So holiness, suffering, are all impacted by the state of the country. You know, as Lot found out, it is better to live with Abraham than to live in Sodom. And that's why Paul encourages us to pray for our nation. Let's look at those verses again. First of all, then, I urge the supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all the people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in everywhere. The benefit to us, if we pray for the nation, is that it will lead us to live a godly and dignified life in everywhere. What does he mean by that? Well, the word godly in the original language is Eusebia. We discussed it many times in Bible study. It carries the idea of um, living daily before God in a way that is acceptable to him. The word dignified means proper behavior. And so when we think of a godly and dignified life in every way, what, is, what, what, what Paul is really saying is that be Christ-like. It is a Christ-like living. It's a living of high moral standard of proper behavior and proper thinking before God. It is a life that resembles Christ. So the Bible is saying to us, one of the most important things that can help us to become like that is what? Praying for our nation. It's amazing, isn't it? As we pray for our nation, our nation becomes transformed. Right? God begins to direct transform our nation by changing the hearts of the people around us so the UK now becomes a more godly place for us to live in. That reduces the level of temptations we face and it allows us to even worship God more freely. That's one mechanism. The other mechanism is this. As we pray for our nation, it changes our hearts, doesn't it? Prayer changes us. We become more godly, you see, because our praying grows the love of Christ in us towards people around us. We start loving our neighbor more when we start praying for them. 
When we look at people without praying for them, we can be heartless towards them. But as we start to pray, we step into their shoes. Have you ever tried to pray for anyone who has done you wrong? Well, if you have, you know what I'm talking about. If someone has done you something wrong, just start praying for them. You notice how warm and loving you're going to become. You'll be thinking, oh Lord, should I buy them maybe a Christmas card or something? It just, it changes. The Lord starts to work. Prayer changes us. We start stepping into their shoes. We, 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 we start thinking of how the world must be like for them. It's frightening, isn't it? Start praying for Peter Thatcher. You might, you might start loving Peter Thatcher. You might not want that. <laughs> right? So, but, but, but it is, it is that it's, this is the mechanism. This is the mechanism that through prayer God teaches us to love because God loves everyone, of course. They're, they're of, what I mean to say is that they're of course rebellious sinners, but God loves them as his creatures and he longs that they repent and come to the knowledge of him as we read in verse 3 to 4. So we, we must start praying for other believers, for, for, for the nation as a whole, sorry, because through our prayers, God works to change them for our benefit and God works to change us to live in a way that honors him. If you want, a, if, you, if, you, if you are a true follower of Jesus, you want to be able to live towards God without evil influences, don't you? You don't want temptations around you. You desire to live holy in every way. Well, the problem is that you tend to see yourself only in terms of the prism of a victim. But the Bible is telling us here that you have responsibility for how the nation behaves towards you. Your personal responsibility is to pray for them. Paul here is reminding us that, yes, God is sovereign of our affairs, but we also have responsibility for growing in holiness. And one way we grow in holiness is to pray that God transforms this nation so that it is a godly place for us to live in. Beloved, there is a sense in which we as followers of Jesus have the government we deserve. Through our prayerlessness. And here Paul is encouraging us. He's saying, look, pray for the nation. Because the more you pray for it, the more God will transform it to be a place that enables us to live godly lives. The final point. That's the second point. So first, prayer influences our nation. Secondly, prayer influences our lives. And I'll be brief again on the third point. The third point is that prayer influences our mission. According to the Bible, the top priority of God on earth is what? To establish his kingdom through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the number one priority mission for God. Success for God in this world is to see the kingdom of this world become what? The kingdom of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are wondering what God is up to in this world, that is what God is busy with. And that is also the mission that each Christian and the church has, isn't it? Our mission is to surrender our lives for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And we know that the kingdom of God grows through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. So our top mission is the Great Commission. The Great Commission is what? Is to point people to Jesus. To make disciples of our nation. And Paul tells us here that God desires that all rebellious sinners should repent of their sin 
and surrender to the Lord Jesus for the salvation of their souls. Let's look at verse 3 to 4. He says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth is having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so, so what the Bible is saying is that God is not cheering anyone to hell. It does not bring our God any pleasure to see the sinner perish. God does not desire that people should suffer for eternity for rejecting him. No, our God's disposition in his heart is to be a loving Savior who longs for each human being to repent of their sin and trust in the death of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. If you are refusing to repent, you have no one else to blame but yourself. And you spend everlasting punishment in hell because you have rejected God's offer of salvation in Christ. God's disposition towards every sinner is to repent. He he, he desires their repentance. And and there is no other way for a person to be saved from the flames of hell except by trusting in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for their sin. But for people to trust in Jesus, they must hear the good news of Jesus. Someone must tell them this agent, life-saving good news of Jesus. If they don't hear the good news, they will perish in hell. If they don't hear the good news and respond to it, they will perish in hell forever. How will this message be shared to them? Well, verse 2 tells us how the message will be shared to them. Verse 2 says, it is through us who are already saved by God, who are living a godly and dignified life in Christ. What will help us live a godly and dignified life? Well, according to verse 2, we are helped to live by living in a nation that enables us to live our lives before Christ. That's what Paul, that's the logic of this passage. You know, in the first century, during the time Paul is writing, there was a period known as the Pax Romana or Roman peace, right? And this period allowed for roads to be built, trade routes to be established. The way, the way was literally paved for the gospel to spread across the vast Roman Empire. Paul is saying peace propagates the spread of the gospel. In peace times, we can share the gospel more freely and set up supporting gospel infrastructure. How does society become like that? How does it become an enabler for the spread of the gospel? Well, the answer is verse 1. So we work our way back. According to verse 1, it is through our prayers for our nation. And so the point Paul is making in this entire passage is that our prayers come first. Why? Because our prayer is first ministry, as we emphasized last week. Our prayers influences our mission. Our prayers specifically for the nation enables the gospel to spread in this land. The whole passage is teaching us that we must pray for our nation because our prayers to God enables us to fulfill the Great Commission. So two quick applications and I'll end there. The first, there are two quick applications we should take away from this final point that prayer influences our mission. 
First application is that if we're not praying for our society and our government, we are working against the gospel. If you, as a professing Christian, are not giving yourself to pray for this nation, you are not working for the gospel, rather you are working against the gospel. Because you have learned the means through which the gospel is prayed. It's through prayer. If you're not doing that, well, you're not, you're not working on God's side. And so you and I need to urgently repent of our lack of desire to pray for our nation. Because it shows that we are, if we, because our lack of praying for our nation shows that we are not on the same page as God. And the reason we are not on the same page as with God is because we put our interests, you see, ahead of His. Why? Because we do not love God as we should. So repentance, again, is important. Let us go before God. Repent of our lack of love for Him. And the fruit we're going to see is that we will pray for our nation more fervently. The second application is that we must pray big prayers for our nation. If praying for our nation aids the spread of the gospel, God will answer us. We have no reason to doubt that God will hear our prayers because we are only asking God to do that which he desires most. What does he desire most? He desires the spread of the gospel. Beloved, I end by saying, look, we are living in a country where people do not know they are reft from their right hand. People around us are lost and they are perishing. And they are headed for the flames of hell. And the Bible is saying here, look, your prayers are key to the spread of the gospel in your local area, where you live, where you work. The Bible is saying our prayers are key. Yes, salvation ultimately belongs to God alone. Even our prayers are nothing more than the sovereign work of God in and through us. But God, by his gracious means, he has made us co-workers with the Lord Jesus Christ. And part of being co-workers, being his workmanship in Christ, is that God uses our prayers to push forward his influence in the world. Prayers are the means through which God calls sinners to himself. Our prayers have gospel influence. So let us pray with faith to God to save lost family members, friends, neighbors, enemies, people groups who are hostile to the gospel. Let us pray with faith, as we'll pray later on, that the Lord will bring true repentance to those who serve in local and national government. The Lord will hear us. Because this passage has reminded us that though we are small, in the eyes of our society, we have real influence of our nation through our prayers. Amen.